Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 63. Today we're talking with James. Hey, James. Hey, afternoon, good morning, and good evening, and good night. That's right, wherever you are. And as usual, we're joined with Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, how's it going? Good. So today we'll be talking about 0.106 and a whole bunch of other stuff. So let's get started. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nebukasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. Configuration is via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. So... The Android app, it's got a bunch of updates. It's gotten a lot closer to iOS. So if, you, if you're not familiar with this, the Android app is the official Home Assistant app that we're talking about. And essentially, that's been being worked on for last, I don't know, what do you say, six months or so, Phil? Yeah, well, I think they sort of announced sort of April Fool's Day, sort of. By the way, we're having an official Android app. And, and since then, they sort of took a a hiatus and they really went back and, and did the whole back end sort of things into the home assistant and, and got the the groundwork laid and they did um the whole like mobile app framework that you know even third parties mm. can use. So I think yeah it's been a while. Almost geez almost twelve months, I guess. I guess yeah that's that's true. Yeah. So I mean they've been uh, they've been working through a lot of that and uh essentially they're closing the gap between what iOS app can do and the Android app can do. Obviously, the iOS app has been around for a lot longer. Uh, so it's great to see that the uh, Android users in the in the group uh, are able to actually get a lot of that too. So the latest updates looks like they've got actionable notifications and uh, battery sensors that are exposed to Home Assistant as well. So awesome. Yeah, I've been like I've always been jealous of the iOS app as an Android user myself. I always hear Rohan, you've you were like on the beta straight away, right? And yeah. you had all those cool features and I was so jealous. So it's really cool to finally see some of that stuff coming over. Yeah, it was it was nice cuz I didn't have to use four different apps that all talk to a home assistant yep. just so home assistant can tell me where I am yep. Or, yep. or 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 any of those kind of things, right? So the I know, I know Robbie and team worked pretty hard on that. So I think feature parity is like really important as well. So this, this house mm-hmm. is split. I'm big Apple junkie. Mm-hmm. And my partner, she uses Android. So I, I want the best experience for us both. And I've been doing a lot with actionable alerts with iOS and having yeah. some fun there. And it's nice to see that come through to, to the Android. App. Yeah. Another one I saw was the ability for the so home assistant can actually ask the android phone and i don't know if this is in ios i assume it is where its current location is so for example you know you can have a, a little automation set up you know between these hours check where the phone is every five minutes or something obviously it would drain your battery but i thought that was really cool so if you wanted to do something like uh if you're driving home and you know f- you know, between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. you're driving home, you can have Home Assistant ask your phone every minute where you are. So then maybe on the Lovelace dashboard, you would have, you know, your little icon traveling down, getting closer and closer to home. So really cool stuff that you can do there as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, 0.106 is out and we have some cool new features. So safe mode, which was introduced in the last release, 0.105, is now uh, even a bit better, I would say, in this release. So as of 0.106, safe mode will use a red color scheme. So you definitely know something is wrong. So when you so safe mode is available for if you've stuffed something up in your config, maybe you've got a indentation wrong somewhere, or for example, you've just upgraded to 0.106 and there's a breaking change and Home Assistant isn't happy. Previously, you would have to, you know, Home Assistant just wouldn't boot or there would be errors everywhere. Now, this new safe mode ensures that the Home Assistant front end is always available. And if there is a critical error for whatever reason, at least some form of UI is available to tell you where it's gone wrong. So this is a cool, very useful feature. And it sort of reminds me of anyone that's used to Windows 95 or Windows 98 having to (laughs) <laughs> James, I'm sure you're used to this, having to press the F8 key a whole yeah. bunch of times uh, to get into safe mode. Obviously, you wouldn't have to press the F8 key to get into safe mode. But yeah, really cool little nostalgic point back to those early Windows 95 days. Yeah. It, have you hit it yet? No, that definitely brings back memories. But so it's good too, if you ever have any issues and such, you might not, you don't necessarily need to open, especially if you're running it on a Raspberry Pi or something like that. You don't need to connect a monitor. You don't need to do all that stuff. You can just kind of 
log into the web UI and see what's wrong. So as as they kind of work towards that 1.0, I think this will be something really neat in case something does go wrong, right? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Have you hit safe mode yet? Uh, I haven't. Not yet, not yet. I'm just, I'm, we're really that good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's saving grace. No, it's. I think it's a great feature to uh, to help debug once you, you do encounter an issue. Have you hit it yet? Yes. Yeah, I hit it last week. I was doing some config change, um, I think, to MQTT, and um, mm-hmm. I left a digit in somewhere, and it shouldn't have been there, and fat key, you know, keyboard, and of course, rebooted and found that. Yeah. Next thing you know, boom, here you go. So it works. That's cool. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, also, there's a more info dialogue for the people. Uh, so the person entity now, if you click them, can uh, bring you more more info on the person, including a map of where they are. So, which is uh, super handy, but may also be a little bit creepy. Yeah, I guess the info is already there in, in Home Assistant, though. But always good to have yeah. people on on the on. Little fingertips there, just click them, and there they are. Oh, that's where they are. Excellent. That's right. Well, you could you can kind of always. It's more of a manual effort, right? Because, like, let's say the iOS app, for example, give you their GPS coordinates. You'd have to mm-hmm. plug them in or whatever. But I guess now this is automated, so that's nice. Automations created via the interface now default to device automations. So, if you're not familiar, and I must admit, I haven't even bothered trying to use the Home Assistant UI to create automations, but. I did when I saw this, so it's a little bit more like easier now to create automations in the UI now that's just they've just done this little tweak. So now, for example, you can go in and as you create your automation, it'll give you the device. So you might choose like when a motion sensor is triggered or turns to on. You can then have you know turn on this light instead of having to do service calls. You know like light dot turn on and this entity ID or this device. It's all now using natural language, which I think is going to make just a little bit easier for new users trying to get started with Home Assistant. Yeah, totally. I still love just ripping open some YAML and, and writing mine raw in an editor. Oh, and, definitely. Uh, the yeah. UI, but. yeah. No, there's still still value in this, though, which is which is great to see. Um, so scripts and scenes now can have uh, custom icons, so you don't need to use customize.yaml for having those right now, I guess, so, which is great. I guess that's, that's one I would have thought would have been like really easy to do and would have been done ages ago, but I guess you know no one's really bothered to put a pull request in for it, but yeah. good to see it's there. Yeah. Uh, one we're always a big fan of is safety in and you know, safety sort of related stuff and the geo RSS platform is awesome for that. And so now uh, a bit of a mouthful, we've got the global disaster alert and coordination system or GDAX. And that is also using the geo RSS platform. And usually when we see providers added to this, they're usually localized. For example, you know, New South Wales rural forest service only applies to New South Wales. doesn't really apply to Canada. But mm-hmm. this provider actually does a whole bunch of stuff for the, around the world. Um, so you can get information for major droughts, earthquakes, floods, tropical cyclones, tsunamis, and volcanic activities as well. So really cool. Maybe they could even consider adding this like as default. Like I reckon that's pretty cool to have like yeah. in there. Yeah. No, agreed. It's especially like if you put in your location, whatever pulls that up mm. from there. That'd be kind of yeah, cool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we um, um, we're suffering from a few storms um, the last couple of weeks in in the UK, mainly sort of heavy heavy winds and rain, and it's causing yeah. a lot of lot lot of floods. And when you shared the show notes, I hadn't come across this before. And um, drilling into it today, even I'm seeing storm warnings and and flood warnings. And I think that's probably the same service that our uh, home assistants use to tap into those mm-hmm. those flood warnings when they pop up on the screens. Definitely uh, going to add that as an integration. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you use the um, the uh, media service for your Amazon Echo or Google Home, whatever, you can uh, push a talk. Or sorry, not push a talk. You can TTS <laughs> that too, right? Um, to say, hey, there's something happening. Yeah. You know, whatever. I love that. Yeah, component. which is mm-hmm. always a huge fan of that. So Minecraft. If you're a fan of the game Minecraft, uh, if you're running a local server, you can now integrate it with Home Assistant. So it'll tell you kind of the number of online players, the latency time, and uh, the connection status, and they all come in as sensors. 
So that's kind of neat. It just reminds me that, that this sort of stuff, remember when uh, Bitcoin and all that was really high and there was like every week we were getting like a cryptocurrency yeah. sort of yeah. sent, like integration. Like this sort of like stuff, it, it's like one of those random ones that once again, like I'm guessing would have a pretty single point of, of use case, but I guess it just goes to show how powerful Homesystem is. And yeah, of course, like if you want to, have your lights a different color based on how many people are connected to your minecraft server then there it is it's available yeah yeah when yeah how the lights flash in celebration if uh you know you hit so many users or something like that yeah exactly yeah uh tato tato however you want to pronounce it they're a popular little uh air conditioning control unit i think they were a either a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo back in the day. Um, but they've actually come out with a cool product and they've got like water heaters now as well. And they're now officially supported in Home Assistant. And I guess this is going to really bridge into our breaking changes as well. But mm-hmm. as part of this, uh, there is a support for Tato multiple accounts. Uh, and to support that, the configuration UI has been completely overhauled. So before you, so if you're using this integration before you upgrade to 0.106, just check out uh, the release notes. There is a whole bunch of YAML changes that you might have to uh, upgrade for. Um, also along the breaking changes line, uh, so there's some features that are now restricted to admin users of Home Assistant. So this is great to see. So only folks with admin access will have the ability to change certain things like a theme or start and stop the Home Assistant service from the UI. So, which is good to see. So now that means we're getting to that point where that admin users being able to, or the non-admin user, let's call it, has Mm. less privileged access than the admin user, which is typically what you want. And especially if you're, if you have it on a tablet or something like that, you want literally the least amount of ability to be able to do anything like that. So the last thing you want is someone going in and hitting the config button from a tablet on the wall and shutting down everything right like that <laughs> yeah, would be exactly yeah yeah exactly so and the final breaking change there's a whole bunch so do check out the show notes but the final one that we'll mention today and i think this is for the a very first world problem for the top one percent is the tesla scan interval has had to be increased so it's now been increased to 11 minutes it was previously five minutes uh, and the reason because of this was people found out that if you were polling your electric car for five minutes, every five minutes, the car actually wouldn't go to sleep and it would drain your battery a lot quicker. So if you are lucky enough and Mr. Musk, we are still waiting for our free Teslas, so hit us up. Uh, we yes. would advise you uh, just to go in and check your config if you have manually adjusted the scan interval for the Tesla integration, you will need, it is advisable that you at least bump it to at least 10 to 11 minutes just so your car has the ability to go to sleep and save the battery. Yeah, which is, uh, it's a good thing we've got that going. Otherwise, people's cars dying all over the place. So. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I strongly am in support of if anybody wants to send us a Tesla, we are more than happy to use that. <laughs> yeah. We'll integrate it with Home Assistant and do a podcast episode on it. There you go. That's right. That's right. We can only but dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, James, let's uh, let's talk about you a little bit. Why don't we just start with kind of how long you've been using Home Assistant and just home automation in general? This is about six months I've been using Home Assistant. I skirted around it a few years back, so I've been probably messing around with, with automation and, and, and components like Raspberry Pis now for probably a decade or so. Really got into it when I got my first home, sort of 2014, and started off with the simple stuff, you know, the lights and bits and pieces, mm-hmm. and gradually it's just taken over, and I love it, completely love it. So great hobby um initially i started off just with python scripts running on raspberry Pis to do stuff um mm-hmm. one the thing i kicked off was i had a projector screen that came out the ceiling and the button for that was i think it was like 433 megahertz spectrum button and i sniffed mm. the button presses and was able to use a raspberry pi to resend those so then nice. i could drive some automation with uh my logitech harmony remote so when i put it into movie mode the projector would come on and the screen would come out the ceiling and that really for me writing some software that made some changes 
physical changes in my world was just when I became completely blown over by home automation and electrical engineering and stuff. And since then, I've just loved it. Every week I'm messing around with something. Um, I started off looking at home uh, open hab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did a, a revow of Home Assistant back then and like, three years ago, I think, even tried Home Assistant and I just didn't feel it was for me. Um, complete curveball because I've had like Vera Plus, Smart Things, you name it. I've I've tried so many different gateways and I could not be more comfortable and confident using using Home Assistant. I I wouldn't recommend anything else now. What do you think would be the biggest selling point for you in using home? Like you've got obviously got all those bunch of comparisons. What's the the biggest draw card that you've found to be the point of difference against them all? Uh, I think the wide spectrum of integrations. Um, for me, I don't tend to buy anything now that doesn't have some form of mm-hmm. uh, integration. You know, I'll, I'll choose to buy something else now because it integrates better with 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 Home Assistant or or through some kind of mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think the community as well. Um, I think the the home assistant community is solid and you put something out there and people share it like it, appreciate it but also contribute to it like um at work we've got a big ethos in in sharing and uh i think when you start enjoying something as a hobby um it's really good to give back to the community however simple or, or big something is um so watch this space because i've got tons to share and i really kicked it off over the holiday sharing a few little bits that i've been working on and I want to, I want to share articles and videos and stuff, but I don't want to regurge what's already out there. So um, I'm, I'm going to try and find something to some kind of format that works to, to share what I've been working on. And if I just look around the house now, there's, there's plenty that I'm sure people would uh, probably laugh, laugh me out of my home. Um, but others might enjoy it too, right? So yeah. Well, as I said, we were talking just before we started uh, recording today, and I was saying that I I just love your your Twitter feed. Like, there's some really good nuggets in there. And I was I was asking you about your um your bath sensor, and I'm I'm yeah. really curious. So because I originally it, it piqued my interest because you're just using a Xiaomi water leak sensor. And I'll let you explain. So what does this bath sensor you've somehow created do for you? <laughs> so th- this is this is like V4, V5 of the solution. So for me, I've, I love a bath. I've got various injuries um, that I've occurred over, over, over many years and uh, a good bath, hot bath helps. And uh, my sure. first property I had, it was really slow to run. Like it would take an hour to fill the bath up. So you'd oh, wow. go off and you'd cook dinner or you'd do something and you'd forget that it's running. And then suddenly you've got a flood and everyone says, yeah, but your bath's got a, an overflow hole. Yeah, of course it does. But sometimes it doesn't drain quickly enough for, mm. for the bath to uh, prevent itself from flooding. So um, this, we're going back 2014 and I built a, a, a Tupperware container with a Raspberry Pi and an ultrasonic sensor to sense how deep the bath was right and it would just i think even back then i was i think i was playing an mp3 on my sonar speaker um i was doing something daft to remind me that the, the bath was running and it was getting a bit full um and i've i over the years i've adapted this and, and that that tupperware container didn't last very long at all but um i replaced it with um, a z-wave sensor um which had a cable water contact sensor Mm-hmm. And I put a, a suction mm-hmm. cup on that and was just able to put it in the bath as and when I was um, running one. Um, the trouble is, I kind of, I was running a Z-Wave network just for that. And I I, it, I brought it over to Home Assistant and was using the integration. And the reliability of the sensor was just really bad for me. It wasn't waking up to send the fact that it was wet. And then my automation wouldn't trigger and stuff. So yeah. I just had to, to tear it down and... Every window and door in the house has got a Zigbee sensor on it. So I've got a really good mesh network going on with my lights and stuff. So it made sense to, to look down that route. And when when it arrived and it had the flat back and I just it, it just said to me, put a suction cup back on this and it's perfect, right? So it sits mm-hmm. on the side of the bath on the shower screen. And when I run a bath, I just stick it in. And obviously when the contacts get get water it, it um, sends an automation so it triggers depending on time of day and stuff it will trigger on different speakers but i just used a text-to-voice um, text-to-speech service on my sonos and i do a push notification to my phone um, 
so yeah quite a quite a simple one in in relative terms it's just the application right we've all got these sensors we all stick them under a washing machine mm-hmm. or a sink mm-hmm. to, to tell us when there's a flood but you know i i just it's so simple. It's it's a beautiful design, I think, in terms of the the, the Tupperware container where I first started to to this. Um, but it just goes to show if you think a little differently, you can uh, you can apply all kinds of things to these sensors. No, of course. I use one in the shower, so I know when someone's in the shower to to delay the lights turning off. You know, because that way you don't want to be in the bathroom nice. and the lights yeah. turn off while you're in the shower. But yeah, that way at least it's. So I've got a. I've got a presence for shower baths. So I've got a humidity sensor, same same yeah. brand, above the shower head. Mm-hmm. And for example, in data over a couple of days, I, I could figure out what the humidity was when I was having a bath and, and when I was having a shower, regardless of whether the window was open or not and stuff. So that then is used for some automations. Um, but yeah, the, I find the, the humidity a bit more reliable. Yeah. Yeah, and and it gives you a little bit of a especially if you're controlling the fan and stuff, it gives a bit of a cool off time too. Right. So actually it's funny. One of the blogs that got me, uh, got me into home automation, the, the, the gentleman basically he had, um, it, it was a switch. It was a light switch with a, or I guess a, just a power switch with a humidity sensor in it. So the idea was, um, when the humidity goes down to a certain level, then a fan just turns off automatically. Right. And to me, I was like, oh, my God, that's genius. Right. Like, I, I hadn't even thought of that. Kind sense. Of thing. That's where you would put it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it, it, it's there's a ton of stuff you can do with that kind of stuff. So that's really cool. Yeah, I, I use the, the trigger as well. So the fact that the, the, mm. the bath sensor's wet to say that the, the bath's full. I keep it in when I'm running the bath, actually. And, and once I'm in, because um, it's got the temperature sensor, so I'm getting a rough clue as how hot the bath is, which is which is quite nice. Yeah, but, oh, that's um, interesting. It basically keeps the state active so my lights don't dim. So for me, I, I'm a big audio and light fan. And um Every room, it started off with Hugh with, with the lights and then I got a sensor and when you walk into the room, Hugh would turn the lights on, great. And then like somebody turns the switch off. We all have this problem. Um, mm-hmm. And I found some really nice molds in the UK that go over our standard light socket. So I decided mm-hmm. to put one of these molds. They're 3D printed molds. They're, they're really nice. Magnetic, the, the, the magnetic um, okay. Hue cover clamps onto it and it basically renders the old switch um as static because you can't get to it to turn it off and then i just use a remote for every room so that if anyone does want to use the typical wall switch that there's a remote there to to do it and i moved over to my combi stick for my zigbee network so my hue bridge isn't used anymore and i lost all of that automation and i didn't want to do it in the the combi app um i i'm using all automation for for my rooms for lights and, and motion mm-hmm. and i've got other sensors too that give me alerts but back to the bath the bath is another signal to say the room is in active state so that the lights don't just turn off when there's no motion because we've all sat in the bath and had to wave regardless you know crazy wave to to get the lights back on <laughs> so two questions on that then first of all um for those Jammy water sensors so you have them fully submersed in the water so they don't have any yes yeah I'll dip you know with movement in the bath it'll be uncovered no no problem at all um i wouldn't say they're submerged for any length of time but mm-hmm. um say and 45 minutes an hour they've been submerged no problem um, right i don't find the temperature updates regularly enough and um, sometimes you have to nudge it with a, a button press but i'm going to look at seeing if i can get into the the config on the sensor and just see if i can get it to send that a little bit sooner because mm. i've noticed one thing with because i recently moved over to a combi and, and decons as well and you said that you were a bit you didn't want to set it up in in decons i found that i have uh the philips hue dimmer uh which is the remote i think you might be referring to and i've linked that in in decons and when i pair it to a, a light it actually assigns the the button switches directly to the lights so even if the zigbee network is down i believe as long as you know the light bulbs and the remote are in range they will control the lights okay. and it's actually a lot faster than going I'll out through home try it out and, you know, I, oh very cool. typically don't use them because i've got um i've got 
what I feel is a pretty solid motion now in my mm. rooms. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taken a long, what, long time to get there, but um, they're there for people that are just comfortable. You know, some friends come over and they they completely take they just hate it um mm-hmm. so I, i've i've kind of kept things in the u- normal place for people to expect a light switch i want to turn the yeah. lights on i'll go over to the light switch and turn it on but i've got my room timeout working perfectly now with various signals and triggers to say right the room's in use don't turn off the lights and mm-hmm. this was a big problem for me with the hue sensors because there was a delay between motion and then the lights coming on and it drove me crazy You'd been in a room and two or three seconds the lights would come on Yep, and yep, with yep. the Hubridge native, it was really, really quick. So right. my journey to my combi stick was I got um, started using smart things and smart things was working well with the MQTT. And there were some delays there when I started using the Hue sensors. And I just thought, why am I using smart things gateway when I could just use the combi and use the rest API that's behind the scenes and the integration with home assistant to give me no zero to latency on 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 motion and lights coming on Mm. which is uh, another gateway that i've thrown out kind of in the box that will be recycled one way or another my vera (laughs) plus gateway sits in there too and an old uh some other gateway i was using years ago that i'm reluctant you know as a as a tinkerer this stuff's great when you need something, you want a component or something, you just tear it down and bury it and don't replace it. But uh, yeah, so having moved um, moved to just Combi, I've I've got um, two motion sensors in each room, mainly from my alarm and my old Hue sensor. And okay. They send a signal to a timer to say, right, start counting down. The room has been used and it, I've got a slider to say, right, how long do you want the motion in this room? So it's anything from one minute to a half an hour. Okay. And each time motion's detected, it will reset the timer back to that scale that you've you've uh, you've provided. Trouble is, the motion sensors don't sometimes don't trigger from being motion to not detected to detected again quickly enough, so the lights go out. So um, when that timer runs out, I check to see if the motion sensor still detected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it won't proceed it just resets itself again so effectively it's in a constant loop until no motion's detected okay and then it sets a second timer off which is a 50 percent fade of what you've got on so you've got a subtle clue the lights are about to go off you know wave uh, your hands in the air if you really exactly, want them to yeah. stay on which is nice but i haven't had that need to wave my hands for ages and things in the kitchen the bath there's other signals so the fact that there's humidity in the bathroom there's the showers in use the baths in use that's another signal to say hey don't don't transition to being off in the kitchen there's contact sensor on my fridge you've got one on your on your dishwasher fill they're mm-hmm. all really useful signals to say a, yeah. a room is being used and don't do something and i think that's the power of having everything you know, talking to each other, right? Like when you've got these silos of apps and and integrations that don't communicate with one or another, you can't get to this level of powerful information sharing and automation. So this is where like I think Home Assistant really and other, you know, open source products as well. But when you have so much integrations, it's, yeah, where you can really do some cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's the data too, right? So having all those integrations, like I wouldn't be able to have got to the point where I knew there's a difference between a shower and and the bath if it wasn't Mm -hmm. the data that then produced me the graph to say, look at the spikes and there's a clear difference. Mm -hmm. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, so how many how many people are in your smart home? Because it sounds like there was there's been quite a bit of uh, adjusting for you to do for you to figure figure all these numbers out and stuff. So, like, how many people that are that use all the stuff so this two and a half so um <laughs> i separated from my mother's uh, my daughter's mother two years ago right. and uh moved into a, a rental um and I'm, I'm with phil i think on this one where i've had to be careful what i do but everything i do i can 
put back to normal one way or another um, when, sure. I, when I do move. Um, so my daughter spends time with me in the week, uh, weeknights sometimes, but mostly most weekends. So I've done some really nice automations around when I have Florence over. Um, I'm able to turn things on in her room. She's got a lovely lava lamp and some fairy lights and some cool WLED stuff with <laughs> a piece of driftwood. That's all off until she's with me. I've got a calendar integration and I keep my dal- my calendar pretty solid. So I mark when she's staying with me or not. Um, so that triggers on the day of that event starting, it triggers an actionable alert to say, you've planned to have Florence. Is this correct? Yeah. And oh, then it nice. marks her as sort of coming over and she's in, in residence, if you like. And then different automation will occur throughout the day. So obviously at night, she's got a, a pressure pad, an old uh, mat pressure pad thing that's under mm-hmm. a mattress and that detects when she's in bed for a period and then if it's over a, a certain time interval then it's night time so her playlist comes on lava lamps are on and her WLED in a room does some effects until I think 30 minutes and then it fades to a night mode and then off which is oh, that's really, nice. really cool yeah that is really cool so how did you go about designing that sort of automation did she request these features or did you sort of watch how she was interacting with the home and then come up with the automations around her a bit of both so um i think we're all creatures of of routine and comfort mm-hmm. uh, i work from home a hell of a lot so my my day can be quite weird i you know i wake up in the middle of the night and i'll get working and, and some days i'll be away and some days i'm not so it's hard to build schedules and routine into that um but through different things and signals and triggers you can identify what what kind of routine you might be in so for her i you know it it all starts with is she over or not so uh, whilst i have her most weekends and an odd night or two in the week that's not always the case so i can't just assume that it's the weekend so the the state of a a switch or something is on and florence is here right um which is what why i love that actionable alert um i can also um, use my echo to say um, she's over and then that will turn it on as well um if if i've not got it in my diary for example that you know mm-hmm. ad hoc moments but say with christmas i i i love the um community and i just saw everyone this year just went nuts for wled and i'd come across it previously never really thought to try anything out and this christmas i thought right christmas tree wled so i i, I got the components for that and we we put the christmas tree lights up and Sadly, when it was all coming down, she was like, "Can we keep the lights up, Daddy? Can we can we do something with those?" And I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Let me think about it. Let's put them put them in the box, and and I'll do something with them when we've got a nice idea." And a couple of years back, we were on the beach, and we we found a piece of driftwood and picked it up, took it home, cut it in half, and turned it into a big F for Florence. And it's huge. Um, she was oh, tiny wow. at the time. It was bigger than her, and then we stuck shells on it. It was a nice piece of art on the wall, pretty unique for her. And at bedtime, I've just been thinking, what can I do with those lights when I'm reading a book and putting them to bed and stuff? And it just clicked. I've got to do something with the driftwood. So I spent an evening um, with the strip lights, gluing them to the back, around the side. And I I tried two or three different positions for the lights, and eventually found one that really worked. And the hue glow around the driftwood was just incredible. So... She's got that, and it it's it tends to go on to different uh, her favourite effects. But then I've got a an IKEA dimmer switch, mm-hmm. and I use that just to cycle through all the WLED effects in a room, so she can choose what's on. And then I store that in a um, uh, select menu, mm-hmm. so that it can restore the effect that she's chosen. And the same in every room, I've got different scenes. I've stored those scenes in uh, a menu. So you can set subtle lights or red lights, whatever effect you want based on the scenes you've created. And then you can cycle through them on the remote. And then when the motion triggers, it restores to that scene. So it's not disruptive. So the the motion has a bit of um, intelligence to it so that it doesn't just reset your room back to bright lights if you were in sort of a dimmed mode. Yeah, that's actually really smart. (laughs) Yeah, that's certainly something I want to share because I think it's taken me a while to get it yeah um, get it so solid but florence is a, a good inspiration and it's fun to do the projects with her so she's programmed her own um esp32 chip and 
Um, we've put some lights under the bed to sync with the driftwood now. So she's got a little den under her bed and they're all in sync. And she, she helped me with that, which which was nice to see her learning that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, good for her. That's amazing. And do you do all the soldering? And I'm guessing there's all a whole bunch of... Uh, I'm guessing using like ESP Home, you get the WLEDs and all that. Are you doing all the electronics yeah, yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love... Yes, I do, yeah. Um, so big tinkerer with that kind of stuff. And um, I love the ESP boards and ESP Home's fantastic. So the pressure sensor thing that I got, it's, a, it's basically a mat that should go under an entrance to a shop. And when you enter the shop, it rings a bell. So it's right. kind of built for for security and maybe even for for elderly and frail people or, or people with with some kind of disability that needs monitoring based on their them sitting down or, or something. So um, I, I just basically hijacked that rather than connect it to the alarm panel that comes with it. I plugged it into a Sonoff Sonoff Basic and used um, the pins to alert me that the pad was pressurized or not based on on the weight um the thing with that is it's got a relay and it clicks and if it's under the bed or under sofa or wherever it is it's it's annoying but i right. i also don't like the whole high voltage of it and i know it's mm. covered and it's it's protected i just thought that was a bit of an overkill for the application that i was using it for so that's when i really started getting into esp home and i just whipped it out and replaced it with a an ESP home board with a couple of delayed pins on it so that I can detect whether there's there's presence there or not. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm guessing that's how you've done your little smart sofa that I saw on your Twitter account too. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone says, why do you need that? And it's just one of those signals, right? When you're sitting down, you'd, I've got... Um, uh, Philips Ambilight TV, so it's got the hue strip like built into the TV, yeah, oh, and nice. then that syncs to the room lights as well. And there's different times when you want it to sync. Like when my Xbox is on, I want it in complete sync. So when you're you're driving or shooting around, all the peripheral lights in the room are in sync with your gameplay or or your movie. And there's times when you don't want that on. And if you're up and down, sometimes sit down for 15 minutes and up again. Um, it helps with things like sticking the TV on pause, just subtle stuff that we just. Mm. I'll run. I might be cooking and watching something with with my daughter or, or whatever, and I need to run and get the um, the dinner sorted or something, and it will stop. And um, yeah, it's it's got different applications. I just thought it was a bit of fun too. So that's interesting. So how are you controlling the TV? So I've tried to do like you know automatic pausing. And all that. Um, for example, when my Amazon Echo timer goes off, I would love to have the TV pause if the TV is playing. The one thing I've had trouble with is being like issuing the pause command via a Harmony integration is easy, right? Because you can actually pin which button on the remote to press. So you just press the pause button. The The tricky bit is, is knowing if the TV is already paused, because if you hit the pause button again, it starts playing. And so I've found yeah. that yeah. more times than what I, it's actually been useful is that we'll already have the TV pause for whatever reason and the timer goes off and then the thing starts playing and doing the absolute opposite of what it was designed to do. So how are you, have you, do you experience that as well or have you got a, a workaround for that? I don't know. So I, I have encountered that and I, I've got the, there's a couple of integrations I'm using for my TV, which, which help, um, at the moment, I'm I'm in the same position with my harmony, um, just toggling between pause and hopefully it will get the mm. right one. Um, yeah. There is a J um, a JS component for the Philips, um, which I'm looking at at the moment, and talks to the API on the TV to do that kind of stuff. Um, because I've I've got the Ambilight integration, so I can turn on the Ambilight and and whether it syncs with the room through that integration, it's the custom component I've I've put on, and that gives me some control over the TV too, so I can change right. the source and stuff. Um, and I'm going to head down that route because it's from from looking at the data, it's pretty solid whether the TV is paused or not. And um, yeah, I also I'm use it's... Android notification on the TV too, so that's. Um, one thing I liked about the SmartThings was the integration it had with with its ecosystem. So you could have SmartThings on the Teddy, and mm. I never got round to mm. any of that. And I saw the ads and was quite quite blown away with it. Um, 
but I, I I love getting the notification on the TV just to say like the washing machine's finished or something, and just a little trigger to go and do some chores or something. Yeah, that's why I went with um, LG, the WebOS. I found that had a pretty solid integration with Home Assistant as well. And I thought, yeah, if because <laughs> when we're in the market for a new TV, I was like, well, what is one of the best ones that integrates? Got to buy with one with an integration, assistant, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you use your um, your Harmony remote for? I found mine pretty redundant these days because I'm, I'm running an Apple TV and my Xbox, and I don't use anything native on the TV. The the TV OS is redundant um, to me. Uh, I don't yeah. even have a TV plug antenna plugged into my telly. It's all like online feeds and stuff these days. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I um I have the a Sonos Play Bar connected to the TV, and for whatever reason it won't. So when that controls the volume of the the sound, the my LG TV's remote can't control the volume on the Sonos Play Bar. So you would need to you know somehow be able to control the Man, volume on the annoying. Play Bar. So that's where the harmony comes in. I also I'm a big fan of the harmony, the concept of activities. And I think you know, I try yes. to make the house yeah. as guest-friendly yeah. as possible. And, you know, just having the button, I want to watch Netflix, and it goes and it turns on the TV and it puts on the, the right app. You know, there's no having to scroll through the apps and, and yourself. It just goes to what it's yeah. supposed yeah. to. So for me, I think the activities as well, it's brilliant. Yeah, Sam, I, I use those all the time, right? So in my basement TV, that's uh, it's hooked up with, Exactly that. So you say, turn on the TV, it'll turn on the Apple TV, set the right channel, so mm. on and so forth, right? So or set Same the right problem HDMI. with the pause, right, though? So that that's still assuming down, down, right, left, up, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of like macros for the cursor, right? It's, yeah. I mean, the, actually, I'm not sure exactly with the Apple TV how that works. It might just, I think it just sends the, because it's a common play pause button, right? Yeah. So it might just send that command. I'm not sure. Oh, cool. But yeah, yeah. it's funny how we select our hardware now for for prime integration with Home Assistant. Um, no, it's true. It's true. It also, I think, uh, is a good way for you know checking for potential future problems. And you know, we've always had the the cloud issues. You know, and I think Home Assistant is really trying to make it more obvious. You know what. A good integration looks like they're starting to bring out, you know, like their their level of standard integrations. I think they've got platinum, gold, and silver, sort of those levels. And hopefully, they'll start to expose that more to people. But you know, being able to see, you know, all right, this integration is local. You know, all right, that's great. If it's going through the cloud, though, it might sort of, all right, yes, it integrates with Home Assistant, but it's a cloud connection, so there is potential that it could go away in the future. That might, you know, hesitate someone from wanting to buy that. So. Yeah, yes. yeah, that was one of the big reasons why I dumped Smart Things. I was not going to expose anything. And my my network's pretty solid, and um, I've got the typical VLAN separating stuff. And I just the thought of having to do that was just something I just wasn't happy doing. So mm-hmm. I dumped that, and the reliance on the the I was running a Docker to do the broker in between Smart Things and Home Assistant yeah, same. and MQTT, and it just there was too many pieces being added to make that all work, and I wasn't happy with the amount of dependencies needed. And one link uh, in the chain breaks, yeah. and it's all tears, right? Yeah, yeah. well, it's exactly it. I, I mean, I had the exact same problem, James, which is why I, that was actually a, when the native integration to Smart Things came in. That's why I was a lot happier, but it's still yeah. still just another thing. Right, yeah. if that makes any yeah. sense. So, yeah, trying to simplify that down too. So, I completely I've still got some dependencies, like, um, like I, I'm sure you guys are running some form of MQTT, um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm really less reliant on tons of sort of flows for integration. And uh, I've got decons for, for Combi and my Combi stick and stuff, but yeah, there, there's less troubleshooting um, when there's not three things involved. And I'm I know there's always going to be a need for a few extra systems to run what we're running, but yeah. I want it to be a hobby. I don't want it to be a nightmare and breaking and troubleshooting it constantly. I want to do cool stuff like I've done with, with some of the integration and automation with, say, Florence's room and stuff. So I'm, I would like to know, so you've obviously got uh, the Amazon Echo for your voice control and you've got a whole bunch of motion sensors. Have you 
done anything with you know running tablets around the house as a an interface into home assistant or have you sort of got to the point where you don't really need to touch the interface and the things just work so yes and no so i'd, I'd like that still um I wanted my house to be a smart home in the sense that I didn't need reliance on an app or a tablet right, right. or even voice. I wanted it just to do stuff in the simplest way possible. Uh, if you look at my um, my panel UI in Home Assistant, it's a horrible mess, mainly because I focused on getting all the integrations and automation solid yeah. before mm-hmm. I start looking at the presentation layer. and. Um, UX is a big part of, of work and, and making things accessible and inclusive by design is, is really key. And I wanted to concentrate on the the getting the automations rock solid before I start caring about what I show you on a panel and in a you know in a page or however I go about that. But it's on the cards for sure. Um I've got some real cool data to show it through Grafana and stuff, um which which I'll do. I, I, I still don't know what tablet to chuck it on, and whether I want to go down the tablet route at all. Mm. I'm quite happy with voice, and I've got a Stream Deck on my desk, which I've linked to, um, to do some stuff with Home Assistant if I really want some quick actions or scenes. So the Stream Deck just sends the uh, uh, API call over to Home Assistant to trigger a, a script or or whatever. Um, that's that's quite neat. Um, when I lock my workstation, I've got a scheduled task that calls the API to turn my desk lights off when I unlock my workstation the reverse and that, that's nice it just keeps a bit of energy down and no point running the lights and for the sake of it uh, yeah that's yeah. cool so it just like does a, a like a a bash script or something or the windows equivalent to tell yeah there's and- um there's a powershell module somebody's got on github that I pulled down mm-hmm. and and that you, you put in the token it creates a session and then you you basically provide the domain the service and the entity and the state if you if you want to go down that route um in one one commandlet which is really nice and i've i'm using that for stream deck and and the scheduled tasks so rather than turn a scene on i turn a switch on to say i'm at my desk and then i can use that in automations for other things like my if the temperature gets too warm i can turn my fan on mm. but i only do that if i'm at my desk there's no point turning my fan on if i'm right. not at my desk yeah so i found to get around that i've um i've got a power monitor on my monitor for my computer so if i'm if the computer monitor is on you know what the, the the computer's on then i'm obviously at the desk and you know then it turns on that mode you know so my study lamp will turn on if it's hot you know same thing the fan will turn on or if it's cold the heater will turn on and then i just get into the habit of when i'm not at the desk anymore i just turn the monitor off or eventually my if my i unplug the laptop it'll turn the monitor off anyway and that's yeah. the presence yeah. sensor right yeah yeah I, I i probably will end up going down and using a i think i've got a sonos and a sonoff um, energy module that um is surplus for requirements but so far it's working all right and my my uh windows machine turns the monitor off after 15 minutes so um we're pretty tight with locking our workstation so i'm mm. it's either locked or the, the yeah the monitor is off so yeah, nice um so what sort of presence detection have you got happening in your home i know you you said you're using calendars for when your your daughter's over but what about for yourself so calendars is cool so i've got a a, a couple of integrations there with say my hot tub um it turns on based on a, an event in my calendar so it pre-warms it mm-hmm. um, rather than it just sitting on all the time but um i have chores in in that and in in terms of in terms of um presence i, I use the home assistant apps um to give me geolocation data um i've got some tiles so i love love the tiles so i've got a tile mm. stuck to the windscreen on my car um that that's useful and then the house keys so i never leave the house without some keys um so one way or another my car my keys or me um but there's those edge cases and i think um i think phil you've you've documented this on your blog around you know you, you might have your car at the garage you might forget your keys yeah. or your work mm-hmm, bag mm-hmm. and so I've, I've got a couple of um states like what the house is in and i use my ring alarm to give me a big indication of whether I'm, I'm home or not um but that doesn't help if if you've got guests over for example or for for whatever reason you've gone um dingless and you've got no device no keys no car and you're mm-hmm. you're just um 
alone if you like um so i'm still working through that i'd love to hear what you guys do and um, maybe um give me some ideas how to to manage that a bit better yeah so i mean for for me it it depends too right because for me it's like i've always got my phone on me um just again part of my work part of whatever so my phone is always with me so if i it that's my primary sense of presence but then at that point, it's also, and, and, and my partner has one as well. So she's also, you know, her, she's also got the home assistant app, whatever. And based on that is primarily how we trigger most of our stuff uh, in terms of whether the home is, or we are home or away or anything like that. Outside of that, I'm trying to think there's not a ton else. The, the, the difficult one is the guest mode one, right? Yeah. Um, how do yeah. I, how do I detect if people are here so i've got two um i've got the the google calendar integration so i've got about probably nine or ten different just look at my calendar tan now uh, i've probably got 12 sensors drive driven from my calendar so like whether guests are staying i'm a big big food nut so i love cooking mm-hmm. and i plan like the next seven meals in my calendar and then i'll do my food shop based on that and every day i get a little push notification to say right this is what's for dinner. And if in the description on the event in my calendar, it says buy or defrost, it then gives me two different actionable alerts on, on my phone. One That's to buy cool. the thing and it will keep nudging me. Have you bought it? Have you bought it? Have you defrosted it? Have you defrosted it? Until you either open the fridge or acknowledge the actionable alert. Um, but I, I stick my when my friends are coming over for dinner or if guests are staying. And then I do stuff like in, in the guest room, I turn off automations that just would annoy them. And I just dumb yeah. it down a little bit because it can be a bit too much for people. Yeah, my mine more importantly for me is because uh, a lot of times people stay over, right? Um, actually, a buddy of mine's actually upstairs sleeping right now, <laughs> and uh, hopefully, I'm not waking him up. But uh, but it's one of those things where at night. So for me, guest mode is also around uh, when I say good night and it turns off all the lights and stuff. I still want others to be able to walk around the house, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, do that kind of thing, right? So how do I how do I actually make sure that you know it's not turning off the bathroom lights if somebody else is in the bathroom or something like that, right? So in yeah. the guest in the guest washroom. So it's a lot of that too. Nice. Yeah, my alarm triggers a ton of night automation. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I have always tried to design my my presence and even you know like the lights as always having a a redundancy so for example as i mentioned before the philips hue dimmer if for whatever reason the lights in the office can't turn on the dimmer can work without home assistant or the zigbee network being up it it can turn the lights on and i've i've always been conscious of that you know having a phone like i had a the original google pixel and one day its motherboard just decided to fry itself and I was without a phone. Now, when I came home, oh. of course, the with my phone was just the primary source of presence. Then, of course, um, the home wouldn't know who I am, and and that's something that I'm conscious of, not just for myself, but also anyone else. You know, if I have a guest over that has a doesn't have their phone linked to Home Assistant, you know, how do they identify and all that? So, for me, what I found was. Uh, the easiest way was to use a, at the time, was a, an MQTT alarm panel, uh, which exposed a, a very generic alarm panel to Home Assistant. So um, now you can use a template alarm panel, which would be easy, so you don't need a, an MQTT broker. And the presence for the house is basically, it doesn't matter, it doesn't need to know who is home, except for maybe my office where only I, if I'm home, would the computer turn on, like the computer monitor would turn on with motion. But that can easily be overridden with voice. So as long as the alarm panel is disarmed, then the house assumes that someone is home and it activates yeah, home mode. Same with you. And from there, the other points, so for example, now my phone will just disarm the alarm. And if my wife's phone will disarm the alarm or if a guest comes over, they can just punch in a code on a tablet on a wall and it disarms the alarm and it doesn't matter right. if it's a guest or if it's me, the house knows that somebody's home and activates all the automations that it needs to. The The tricky bit is obviously guests. And for that, 
it's just a simple, is a guest staying, yes or no. I think your calendar is a fantastic idea. That's probably the next level I would go to. For me, I have just an input boolean. Um, you know, I have two places where a guest could be, either staying in our spare bedroom or in the living room on the couch. So I have two zones for where a guest could be staying. And if they're staying in the living room, then I just flick on the living room. There's a guest in there. And when it gets to night and the TV turns off, it, it sort of does its own limited automations for there. Yeah, I, I, I would be struggling without that calendar integration for me. So I like Florence's schedules in there, school mm. holidays and stuff. So I drive a ton of stuff from that. But it's also useful, just a quick reminder, when is the next school holiday? So yeah, um, that that's useful data coming out of the calendar that I just haven't got to click through and go and find the next sort of holiday event because it's, it's presented in home assistant for me now now for stuff like that do they do they publish uh do they publish that in like an ical or is that something some, you manually some, yeah do and, so um the school has a page that shares the the dates and um some schools do have like a ical file or ics file that you can import um this school at the moment doesn't i'd love to get them to do it because it would probably save many hours yeah. for parents mm. putting it in their own diaries um and then i subscribe to a couple so i'm a big f1 fan six nations is on at the moment for us the rugby's on so um i pull sort of a few things in there that can drive scenes and lights and stuff but they're not really massive things to to, to sell really it's just another event in a calendar but um right yeah we can when you're on holiday and stuff is useful to drive extended away in yeah. the house yeah uh, i do have a random light generator <laughs> You mentioned before that you're using a tile tracker, like you've got tiles on your keys and in your car. Have you linked them with the tile app or have you just got them broadcasting um, constantly to like a Raspberry Pi or something in the home? So I'm I, at the moment they link to the app, but I was looking at the integration with VSP Home for them just to broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually prefer them going through the app because it gives me a few extra components that I probably wouldn't get. Um, yeah. I can actually see the location of the tile because it syncs with the phone. Yeah. Um, so it gives me a bit more data to play with. Pretty accurate as well. I, when, when I park up the alarm, I literally park outside the house and um, within, I think, usually 30 seconds to a couple of minutes, the, the house has detected that I'm home. Um, I've got a Unify network, so that I use for a bit of presence as well, but not anything that I'm relying on massively. And as I say, I, I haven't really quite got that to the point where i'm happy about how it's all all hanging together other than the the calendar and the physical alarm that i have to either turn on and off through through the phone or uh, through mm. the panel so something to play with yeah yeah what about um how you're hosting home assistant uh, my journey started off on a pie and i very quickly became frustrated with how much time i was waiting for it to reboot um, yep and then since then, I've I've um, started using Docker a ton more on my on my Synology NAS, um, which I just love to bits running it in there. No performance issues, reboots in I don't know, seven to eighty seconds, maybe mm-hmm. even less. Um, but I know you you feel you've moved over to running it on a on a Nook, haven't you? Um, no, no, I, I will. <laughs> I'm running it. I'm actually running three instances of Home Assistant now. Um, so I started on the Synology, which is a great piece of kit. Um, and, you know, just having Docker in that NAS is amazing. And of course, when you get Docker in a NAS, you just have a whole bunch of containers. Um, and I was running so much that Home Assistant was clearly the biggest container, but it was struggling with everything else. Yeah. So I had a an old NetTop PC somewhere. I just installed a Linux server on that and moved over to then uh, moved over to that, and then um, sort of started getting constraints on that. And rather than buying another computer, I've sort of tried to split up what my Home Assistant instance does. So uh, now the Synology is basically a, I use Home Assistant as a cloud gateway. So any integration that requires a cloud connection and will go offline if the cloud's not available runs from one instance of Home Assistant and then it will push out all the entities over uh, MQTT discovery to all the other instances. Um, 
I've then got the primary instance of Home Assistant, which runs the lights and motion and all that. And then I have another instance which is doing anything that's non-critical. So, for example, 1 a.m. every day it'll go and see, all right, what bin is coming out this week, you know, and adjusting sensors around that. Or it might go and check, you know, um, other sensors around the house and make sure everything's fine. That's not critical to the lights turning off and on. So I've got maybe a bit of a complicated setup, I'm guessing, now, but it sort of works for me. I just didn't want to buy another bit of hardware. I'd rather yeah. reuse what I've already got. Sure, sure. I've not found so I've I've got um I put extended memory and um a big S, uh, SSD cache on my Synology. So ah, I right. haven't encountered issues. So I've got 16 gigs available for usage on Docker and other resources. Uh, I think at best Home Assistant pulls six or seven. Uh, mm-hmm. That's after a long cycle of it being running. Um, and then I don't see any delays or lag with automations or lights running through decons and Docker. Not yet, anyway. But I, I am of the view now that I'm so ingrained in this that I probably don't want it. I still probably want Docker as a as the container system to host it. But I might put the reliance in a separate piece of hardware and take it off the off the NAS for that. Mm. Um, right. It's it's plugged into a UPS, so the ring alarm's got battery backup. My router a switch and and my um nas are plugged into uh ups for a bit of time to shut down and and uh yeah close down things properly and safely ron what are you running yours on because you i know you've you've got what, at least two instances of home assistant running now right because you're using the api to connect them right yeah so i'm running it on uh so my Conby is running on uh, a Raspberry Pi. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a Raspberry Pi 3. It's not nothing fancy. Um, and then my main instance is running on uh, it's just running on a VM and in Docker. Yep. In as part of my home lab, whatever. So I've got a server there that's that's got all that stuff. But for the most part, it's just yeah, it's 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 just running off of a, a VM and uh, Raspberry Pi. Okay. Yeah, nice. Nothing too complicated, but uh, but again, for me, it's it's the augmenting of the little things, right? Rather than doing everything all at once. So I do have quite a yeah. bit of stuff still, but yeah. I had this where um, I've I've obviously trashed my my Z-Wave network because I I was just using it for that bath sensor, and um, right now the the combi that sticker I'm using is plugged into my my NAS and and running into decons in docker mm-hmm. but i i'm trying to get my philips so at the moment my bedroom and my living room lights are um connected to a hue bridge still for the ambi light service in the tvs to work and i'd love to get to the point where i can take that tear that bridge down move the lights to combi and completely be running that whole network um on the combi stick with decons and then have the TVs talk to a um, DIY Hue emulator, and then yeah. that access that accesses decons as well. But I don't know if the latency and the lag with the lights is going to work. So that's something I'm playing with at the moment and getting quite frustrated with, mainly because my TVs have updated and they won't detect any bridge now. So I can't proceed to see if it will work. I'm just waiting for that to be patched. Right, 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 right. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is a problem, right? You start getting down this rat hole, and now it's <laughs> more and more. I'm, stuff. I'm completely in bed with it. Um, oh, I know. Like if I if I go back to where I started, I I had OpenHab on a Raspberry Pi, and I put it in a in a picture frame, and it was on the wall, just flashing away, doing its thing, and it had a couple of sensors in the frame, which would mainly drive that projector blind integration I, I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's virtualized and hiding away and just the thought of the, the six seven years that i've been doing this from that raspberry pi in that frame that's still above my desk as an ornament um <laughs> like to run in what we run now is just crazy and i, I think the the, the hardware is so much better these days the service like home assistant just it rocks and then you've got the community i think just how that's grown you 
share something and people go nuts for it these days and yeah um, i'm really grateful for for what you guys do and and what the community provides i know a lot of people put a lot of time in making these videos and articles and i'm i've countless I, I do think we need to make sure we read stuff because i think the home assistant documentation is is there it's it's great to to get to get going with and I've, i can't fault it but you see some some people's problems are just maybe asking a little bit too soon um but i think everyone around the community is there to help and we do do our best to to, to do what we do so uh yeah thanks thanks everyone for for your help um i just got to work out a medium to to share my stuff i don't know whether go down the blog route or videos or, or what but I, I feel i've got a lot of content that by the sounds of it people want to hear and and understand and, and learn from yeah, yeah and let, let us know when you do a lot of cool stuff yeah so where can people find you we've got we'll leave links to your twitter of course in the show notes have you got anywhere else that people can follow you on yeah so i think um I think my blog, so jcalhan.com, it's full of my tech work. So I, I work as a Microsoft 365 consultant in the UK for Microsoft. So a lot of my articles are related to that theme, um, right. food, and I've got a backlog. So I used I use Azure DevOps to track all of my work items for my home. I put bugs nice. in there and I can track it down to the code, which is really cool. Like when you're in DevOps all day anyway, mm-hmm. I just felt a natural place to 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 to, uh, to put my backlog and then um i've got a, a list huge list of posts probably 30 plus articles that i want to share problems i've had it's just picking the right ones to share that are relevant and of value and not just repeating what others have, have done but i don't know I, I like i like to write so yeah definitely check my blog out twitter i'm always posting um and that's i think how um i've met you two really yeah. um mm-hmm. and then the community I, I dip in and out of um there's some facebook groups i'm in i try and contribute here and there um but i, I don't know I, I run i don't know whether to break into uh, youtube or, or what really for for this format i'll maybe put it out to the audience let me know how you think you might <laughs> want me to share some stuff um but, uh, there you go any suggestions from you two i, I always appreciate uh i've always thought that um Blogging is a great medium for, you know, not everyone can watch a video and, you know, being able to give code examples as well as the reasoning behind the code examples can sort of help someone as opposed to just force feeding, here's the code, do it sort of thing. Like, this is how I've done it, now you do it. So it's sort of a bridge between a GitHub repo and a, a tutorial, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that too. But in that same breath, I've also been terrible at upgrade uh, updating my blog so oh totally since doing this podcast we have had no time to do our own blogs <laughs> i know it's 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 so bad no i i completely understand with that and uh the the articles that you do share i'm really grateful for like i'm running your washing machine um integration well your your automation for for mm-hmm. that and don't have a dishwasher sadly but I'd, I'd chuck it onto that too but your articles both of you when i've, I've read stuff it's solid so hopefully i can um meet you there on 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 content and and uh quality there when i start writing but it's hard right running a family running a home automation running yeah. a job it's 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 definitely hard to keep it going and i've been running my blog for a decade or so and it's invaluable for what it's given me the experience the people reading it it's, it's so valuable so i think i'll probably go down that route yeah no that's awesome well, James, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all your cool stuff. We'll have links everywhere in the show notes. Um, but yeah, take care and we'll speak to you soon, hopefully. Thanks so much, Beth. Thank you. Thanks a lot. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.